Hi, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, January 19th, sponsored by 42 Bar and Table at the Clinton Center. On today's edition, we're going to talk about tough-talking Tom Cotton, a major state Supreme Court case, and a pivotal lawsuit for literate politics. I'm joined once again by Max Brantley. Oh. How was your trip? Had a good trip. Uh, so, it was a big news week for Tom Cotton. He was first uh, blasted for defending Donald Trump's shithole comments or covering up for him, lying for him. It, it, it all got a little crazy. Uh, And then we reported yesterday that he'd been sending cease and desist letters to constituents whose tone or language or something he didn't like. Well, Tom Cotton, the war veteran, tough-talking Tom Cotton, seems to be kind of a snowflake from where I sit. He's a guy that doesn't like to talk to reporters in hallways, and he's been a target of quite a bit of lobbying from resistance groups because he's been sort of a point man on some of the farthest right of some of the really hot-button issues today, health care for one and immigration for another. And he did back Trump, and I think he's thrown in completely with Donald Trump on just about everything because he realizes he can be influential, and Trump has tended to move more in Cotton's direction, particularly on immigration, than he has in some other more reasonable ways. Whether Cotton can muster the votes to get any of this done in the legislature remains A real big question, Mark Lindsey Graham, is among those who says that what Tom Cotton wants immigration is just a no-go at this point in Congress. But in any event, in addition to backing Trump on his awful remarks about immigration, lying about him, nearly everybody has concluded by saying he didn't say what everybody says he said. Uh, This week, it it turned out, I think as an outgrowth of that happening, he was targeted by a lot of demonstrators. The the Dreamers situation is coming to a head in, in Arkansas. People have been flooding to his office. He's been having people arrested for demonstrating in his office. And then Ozark Indivisible, the resistance group in Arkansas, which has been active in all this, released a copy of a letter one of its people had received. And it apparently wasn't the only one, by the way, despite what Trump's uh, Cotton's office has said in which after repeated calls to the office, they sent him a one-sentence cease and desist letter saying, if you communicate with us at all in any fashion in the future, we're going to call the police on you. Well, this is a pretty serious abrogation of the First Amendment. It's a prior restraint of somebody saying, you may not communicate with a senator of the United States because we've declared you off limits. It's kind of like the office refusing to participate in providing routine services to the Arkansas Times because they don't like our point of view. Uh... This created quite a storm, our report about this happening, and it was, Cotton's office wouldn't talk to us about it, but ultimately did talk to some friendlier media outlets and confirmed it, that they said while it was rare that when people spoke in ways they didn't approve of in extreme circumstances, they said, they might cut off contact with them. Well, they one of their staffers said that one person, a woman, had uh, threatened a staff member and had called her a C-word. Uh, then he backed off. No, they hadn't threatened anybody, but they sounded threatening. And the woman says, through people we know, that she didn't use the C word. One woman told the Democrat Gazette, and the person who wrote us about their experience anonymously said that they might have spoken in strong language, but even John Bozeman's office said, we'd never tell somebody they couldn't talk to us anymore if they used a curse word. This is, I mean, I think Tom Cotton, if he served in the Middle East, might have heard an expletive or two over there. This is just a matter of Tom Cotton doesn't like criticism and doesn't want to get it and is getting worn out and impatient with having some. 
uh, Lindsey Graham said Tom compared Tom Cotton to Steve King, the totally nutso representative from Iowa, not exactly a compliment. And so I think uh, Tom Cotton has, has hurt his stock a little bit this week, but he's still very influential with Donald Trump. Time passes, and uh, I expect he can weather it, but to the degree it might have taken a little luster off of Tom Cotton, well, that's good. And if we had a role in it, particularly since how, how unhelpful uh, they've been to us, including not even releasing simple standard news releases, well, good. All right. Let's talk about our sponsor, 42 Bar Let's and talk Table. About 42. I, how about a good cold martini? They mix a good martini. Mm. They've stepped up the bar business there when they're remodeling. There's, they're open late night, Thursday through Saturday. I mean, real late, even like after 11. A little late for me, probably, I'm, 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 I must admit. When's the last time you've been out past 11, Max? Uh, you know, it's funny. It, last week, while in the Caribbean, I was awake at midnight. Whoa. And my wife remarked on it, and I, I can't remember because we stayed up. We stayed up late to hear some show, uh, in in one of the we were on a cruise ship. And Jimmy one, Buffett was it? Jimmy Buffett? No, there was no Jimmy Buffett on this boat, but there were some there were some pretty good singers, and and so it was it was good. It was it was yeah, it was you know it was old folks <laughs> entertainment. What can I what can I tell you? But you can go to uh, Forty Two and get a great meal uh, from a from big old honking hamburgers to good, healthy, vegan, vegetarian, suitable for Bill Clinton fare, and it's all pretty good. Mike uh, Selig really runs a great restaurant. And get that dessert where it's an assortment of house-made candies. That it's like their upscale version of Snickers bars. It's, mm. just, it's just fabulous. That sounds good. All right, 42 Bar and Table. And, and do tell them we sent you. Yes, please do. Moving on, the Arkansas Supreme Court this week reversed long court precedent that the state legislature may pass laws waiving the sovereign immunity provision of the state constitution that says the state may not be made be made to be a defendant in court. You know, they had been sending some signals that this was coming, but it still shocked everybody, I think. We've, we've had 20 years or more of the Supreme Court saying that while the Constitution does clearly say the state must never be made a defendant in its court, that this has been interpreted as while it can't be compelled to be a defendant, it can choose to be. And the legislature has done so. It, it's passed some laws that says in this area we'll waive sovereign immunity. Specifically in the case that came up, said that we will, we will let state employees be covered by the minimum wage law. And, and an employee of a college in Maine had sued for some overtime pay, and now that suit's been dismissed, and there's some other pending suits on the state not paying, following minimum wage law, and now those suits are dead, but it's much bigger than a minimum wage law, and Karen Baker, who wrote a dissenting opinion, said clear this, it's astounding, really, the impact this could have. Uh, the Supreme Court majority in a 5-2 decision said something about, well, this is just about monetary damages, but there are all sorts of ways that, that the state can be and needs to be sued from the Freedom of Information Act to prisoner complaints, all sorts of things. And if, if the only if the only relief possible now is the state claims commission to which you can make an appeal for damages done to you by the state and they may or may not grant them. And even if they do, it's up to the legislature to appropriate the money. It's limited uh, tremendously the, the ability of the average guy to, to take a complaint to the state. 
the lawyer in this case wanted to argue there are other parts of the Constitution that override this, one that you should never be deprived of the right of a jury trial and everybody should have an equitable remedy for damages done to them. This has been stripped away from this. Is the, I mean, the king has become the sovereign again in Arkansas. Some of this is, is something of a, a product of some conservative outlook, I think. I, I do think someday it's going to come to a point where some big moneyed interest is going to be denied the right to sue the state and then maybe we'll get something done. But, but in the meanwhile, this is yet another, this is, this is essentially a vote by conservative court, including some self-identified Republicans, although they don't run as partisan candidates anymore, in favor of big government and absolute total power of big government and, and limiting the power of the people. And in the state where the motto is reg not populous, it's, well, it's at least ironic. Well, so do you think there's going to be a flood of lawsuits? Well, no, but this? no. Uh, well, there'll be fewer lawsuits because it'll be harder to sue. Uh, I, I think, you know, one lawyer predicted people will look for ways to take claims against the state to federal court. But uh, so many of these things turn on state law. I don't think that's necessarily a, a good option except for where you've been. And th there's still an option in state law. Sovereign immunity can be waived in the case of federal constitutional questions. You've been denied due process of law, for example. Uh, and I think that's still an open pattern. Although, for example, Mike Lowe, who's representing Wendell Griffin in his suit against the Arkansas Supreme Court over being removed from death penalty cases, says that, that, that this is precisely at issue in this case, is whether or not the state can be held immune from this lawsuit on the sovereign immunity ground. I mean, I, I think there's a constitutional avenue for Wendell Griffin, although I, I'm not sure he wins even then. But... Uh, but it, it certainly is a limiting and a concerning thing, particularly in a state court. What about, does this encourage the state legislature to try to mess with school funding? Well, uh, the, the, the Supreme Court noted that among the decisions that this could have some impact on was Lakeview, which is a school financing decision. Now, it was about the question of attorney's fees in that case, not the basis of the lawsuit. But sure, I think if you can't sue the state for attorney's fees and bringing successful actions on some matters where you can sue the state, well, it's going to discourage people from suing. It's a, I think it's a bad decision, a terrible development. It, 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 will, it will evolve in ways it's not yet easy to predict. Some people have said, well, someday the legislature may have to propose a constitutional amendment to, to fix it. That's a... That's a long way off at a minimum. Yeah. Okay. Final topic. As directed by the Little Rock City Board, City Attorney Tom Carpenter this week sued for a declaratory judgment that Work Saban and Frank Scott, who are candidates for Little Rock Mayor, are violating city ordinance by raising money for exploratory committees to run for mayor. Well, you know, I have a lot of thoughts about this. And first of all, it's just kind of a mess. Uh, and, and I think that the one thing you can say is it's yet another illustration of how punishingly difficult it is to regulate money in politics, that there's always a way around and there's always a complication. In 1997, a liberal good government group persuaded, and I think they may even had a popular referendum on it, but in, in any event, it was a result of their effort, passed an ordinance that said... <clears throat> You can only raise money to run for city offices in a five-month span, 
And if you do run for city office and win, you can't keep any of your carryover money. You got to give it back to your contributors or contribute to charity. Well, that uh, shortens the period of time that you can raise money to run for office. This year, you can't start until June the 1st. Two uh, strong candidates wanted to run for mayor, Warwick Saban and Frank Scott Jr. Uh, they looked at the law and decided that the state law allowed for them to set up exploratory committees for a two-year period before an election uh, that they could raise money and do some of the sorts of things you do in running for a campaign, if not buying advertising that directly advocates your election. And uh, this did not make Mark Stodola, who is being challenged by these two candidates, very happy. A straw man for him made a complaint to the State Ethics Commission. The Ethics Commission said, nope, we got no jurisdiction over this. The state law allows what they're doing, and we're not going to find that they've done anything wrong here. Well, that didn't sit well with Mark Stodla or most of the other members of the city board of directors who are also incumbents and who don't want anybody coming up with exploratory committee means to challenge any of them. Nobody else has, but nonetheless, this is all about incumbent protection. It's easier for incumbents to raise money. I do think it's important to go back and say the reason this law was passed was because the Little Rock City Board business has been sort of notoriously corrupt during the the period when they could raise money year-round for a two-year period. A lot of them uh, over the years got well-timed campaign contributions before important votes. This is particularly noticeable among the real estate development community, a zoning issue. Good time to make a contribution to your favorite city board candidate is uh, right before they vote on your zoning request. So there was a reason for this, but it still has the effect of favoring the incumbents. And so the board voted to, to sue and get a declaratory judgment that what Saban and Scott were doing was wrong, force the Ethics Commission to discipline them, and take basically, if they win, force them to give this money back. They'll also have to spend some money in legal fees. Well, there's one huge crushing piece of hypocrisy in this, and that is that Mark Stodla has, for eight years, kept the carryover money from mayoral races and has not refunded the money within 30 days as the same city ordinance he's trying to enforce against Saban and, and Scott require. The ordinance, plain language, never appeals, says he should have given that money back 30 days after his last election in 2014. He didn't. He has $78,000. Well, he's got a friendly opinion from city attorney Tom Carpenter that, well, the state law overrode that part of the ordinance, but not the part of the ordinance that would prevent Saban and Scott from making money. You know, even 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 if Tom Carpenter's right, and you have to view Tom Carpenter's action in the context of the fact that he owes his job to Mayor Mark Stoll and the City Board of Directors, and, and I think Tom's an honorable guy, but it's hard not to believe that his position doesn't influence what he's doing in this case. Even if you accept legally that's correct, spiritually both sides don't look. I've said from the beginning that what Warwick and Frank Scott are doing is an end around the law. It's a legal loophole. It may be legal, but it's certainly contrary to the spirit of the city law. If what Mark Stoll is doing is legal, it's contrary to the spirit of the city law. I think they ought to repeal the ordinance and start over again. But that's not going to happen. Uh, the lawsuit seeks an early ruling on this because they're in the campaign season. I... I you know, I like the odds the Ethics Commission view holding out, which is exploratory committees are legal. Uh, <clears throat> at this point, they haven't asked to join Stodel to the suit and get a ruling on whether he's improperly keeping money under the ordinance. 
that might be a good way to, to pay him back. But I think the larger issue is this. I think people will see through the self-interest on the part of the people who filed this lawsuit. They will see through the hypocrisy of what Stodal is doing, and it'll back. there'll be a backlash against them for doing it. I think they should have left it alone. Uh, and I, it will contribute to what I think is, is a persistent and deep dissatisfaction with city leadership right now. I do think that Mark Stodal's decision to push this to a lawsuit is a reflection that he thinks he's in trouble, that uh, that if you could poll that race, that his numbers would not be high and that, that he faces potential peril from these challengers who are both young, aggressive, thoughtful, have a lot of uh, base support and have been successful raising some money. Warks raised about 120000 Frank's raised about $75,000. they and they both can, Frank Scott has ties to the business community as a former highway commissioner and as a banker. Warwick's been kind of a liberal light that has some real support from that part of the community. Worked hard to be elected to the House three times. So these are these are these are legitimate challenges, and uh, the race will be three-way. It'll split the race up. They both Warwick and Frank present challenges to Mark Stodal's old base, which is old, and I, I just detect a great deal of dissatisfaction with the city leadership. Some of it's the fault of the form of city government. This this two-headed horse of, of a city mayor and a city manager. And I think a lot of people are going to be talking in this campaign about the need to change city government. I think we'll hear some support from the challengers to a change in city government, to a stronger mayor form. But uh, it's, you know, in, in many ways, one of the most interesting races on the ballot this year. Sure. Can, if if the lawsuit goes against them, can Scott and Saban still win? Does the, the money hole? Well, uh, <sighs> I think they can still raise more money. It'll certainly set them back. Uh, the the question then I think becomes if if they lose, they appeal and can they stretch this? It's hard to imagine getting this done before the election. This is this is just late for this to happen. It seems to me. When, when is the? It's not November, is it? There's a primary. No, no, there's no primary. The election's in November, okay. and if there's not a winner, there's a runoff two weeks or three weeks after the general election. You think it's hard for to get it done because there's going to be appeals? Well, I mean, just just getting the case scheduled, getting it hurried up, argued. There are a bunch of parties in this. I mean, it's uh, this is just not something that lend, it needs to be brief. This is just not something that lends itself to a real speedy resolution. Right. So, and, and it's a question of how far states, cities are creatures of the state. Everything the city can do has to be extended to it by state legislation. They're, they're absolute creatures of the state. And so what we're going to have here is, you know, what state law provides as far as cities. And Chris Burks, Democratic lawyer who's going to represent Warwick Saban, who's been interested in this for weeks. I've talked to him about it a long time ago. He's interested in it from the point of view of having a, a uniform state ethics law. And he thinks opening the door to, to a crazy quilt city enforcement of various parts of the statute weakens the ethics law overall and it can be used to do dirty work to harm partisan candidates on the city level and that sort of thing and i, I think he's kind of right about that I, I think this ordinance was well intentioned but it turned out to have been not very well thought out and and, and we're, we're probably i mean the state law as it is and has loopholes aplenty already and, and this one is just a, another place to do mischief seems to me all right let's leave it there and move on to endorsements what do you got 
Well, as luck would have it, a movie that lasted in Little Rock about two days was shown on my cruise ship. Uh, I mean, it's getting all kinds of awards now, three billboards. I thought it was great. Oh, yeah, it's not still playing here? No, or maybe unless it's back, but we, we, we couldn't see it before we left because it was gone. It, oh. it lasted such a short period of time, and I couldn't. And, it, boy, it's real accessible. I mean, apart from being interesting and great performances by Francis McDormand and Woody Harrelson, but, I mean, it's like it's not it's not an esoteric art film. I mean, there's plenty of fire and explosions and <laughs> death and destruction, and, you know, I mean, it's pretty easy to understand at the same time. Yeah, that, I'm, uh, I'm excited about seeing that. Did you see that guy's previous movie, In Bruges? Oh, it, the one in Bruges, Belgium? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, I love that. Yeah. And it's a totally different, <laughs> a totally different movie, too. Yeah. I mean, in, but it has, in is many it ways. But is it similar kind of sense of humor a little bit? Oh, yeah. No, there was a lot of humor in that movie. And yeah. it's a beautiful movie, too. It's yeah. a gorgeous movie. Um, I'm going to make two endorsements that are related. One, I finally got a new digital streaming device after using my old Blu-ray forever. And man, it makes such a difference. So if you've been using some old piece of equipment to watch Netflix or Amazon Prime and all those services. I should get rid of my Roku. Well, if you like your Roku and it works easily, but I got a Fire Stick, which is about 40 bucks. It just plugs into an HDMI port, uses Wi-Fi. You can also plug the internet straight into it, but the interface is just so much better. You can use voice control stuff, which works pretty well. My Roku, if you can talk to it. Yeah, well, I'm sure I was just in the dark ages. But anyway, because of that, I now have access to HBO Go, which has more than HBO On Demand, and I've been catching up on Insecure, uh, which is about uh, it's uh, Issa Rae is the creator, and Larry Wilmore, who was on The Daily Show, is a showrunner on it. It's about young African-Americans in L.A., um, it's sort of like the black version of girls is the shorthand, but so much better uh, and funny and fun and has a great soundtrack. Larry Wilmore's in it? No, he's the showrunner. He's the showrunner. Yeah. Right? So I was going to say, he's not young. I mean, he's no, younger no. than me. Yes, yeah. Most everybody is. But. Um, <clears throat> and a literary rapper who we have written quite a bit about and champion, Carrie Foe, is all on the soundtrack, like more than anyone else. So well, That's great. Yeah, it's a good show. Well, I've been watching Australian soap operas on, oh, on, no. on my Roku, so I won't, I won't bore the audience with any more old fart news. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. Go to 42, tell Go them we sent you. Go to 42 bar and table, get some food and get a drink and tell them we said we sent you down there. And subscribe via iTunes, give us a rating and review. And hey, one, one more thing to pass along. Soon on iTunes, you'll also be able to subscribe to the new... Arkansas Times Pop Culture Podcast. I don't know if it has a name yet. But for now, you can check it out on the Rock Candy um, blog. There, it's, it's on SoundCloud, and so you can listen to it. You can listen to SoundCloud on your phone and on your computer. But check it out. It's uh, Jacob, Rosenberg, Jacob Rosenberg, Stephanie Smittle, and Amaya Jones. Um, it's, it's good. They talk about movies and music and what's going on. Check it out. See you next and time. Stephanie wrote a great review of a Korean restaurant in this week's issue of the Time. Yeah, you're not I supposed to give her away. I would. Just, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Oh well. It was a positive review. I don't think you. It was a very of... positive review. Great review. Yeah. yeah. The place sounds fast. The old Van Lang yeah, is now Kim totally Chi. gone Korean. It just sounds great. Yeah, I can't wait. All right, we'll see you next time.